loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm, I am Cheryl Jones, and I want to help. I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Joyce Smard. Joyce, an MSW, is an adjunct associate professor at the School of Nursing, University of Western Sydney, Australia, and a private geriatric consultant residing in Land O'Lakes, Florida. She's been involved in long-term care for 37 years, serving as Alzheimer's specialist for many healthcare companies, providing services in skilled nursing homes, assisted living communities, and hospice organizations. Ms. Smart has written numerous articles and chapters in healthcare books and has authored several books, The Magic Tape Recorder, a book for children about Alzheimer's disease, and the End of Life Namaste Care Program for people with dementia, now in its second edition, and we'll be talking a lot about that book today. Professor Simard has implemented Namaste Care in Australia, United Kingdom, Canada, Iceland, and the, and, and the Netherlands, funded by various grants to study the outcomes of Namaste Care on residents, staff, and families. In January 2013, Provider Magazine recognized her as one of 20 to watch for her leadership and commitment to improve the lives of residents in long-term care facilities. Welcome, Joyce. Thank you very much. Lovely Um, to be here. I really appreciate that you are allowing me this opportunity to talk about grief, especially as it relates to people with an irreversible dementia, and I'll say Alzheimer's disease, meaning an irreversible dementia, because it just impacts so many millions of people, um, not only personally that they have it, but they have, uh, you can imagine, the number of people who care for them, not just their family members, but but perhaps their their friends who are also frightened of getting Alzheimer's disease and not knowing how to handle the grief and and how to help people live, not just exist with a dementing illness. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the expression, the long goodbye, because to me, um, illnesses such as that are um, a progressive series of losses. Um, Obviously I don't just talk about uh, death grief on this show. Um, And, of course, people with with, uh, dementia do eventually die, but there are so many losses for them and everyone around them along the way. Definitely. And it's very interesting because, as, as you mentioned, it not only impacts the people that care about them and care for them, but it it also impacts the person really until they get into the advanced stage. The very beginning of having a problem with your memory loss, a problem that affects the way you normally live your life, all the grief, you know, it's so frightening when all of a sudden your spouse suggests that maybe you shouldn't drive anymore. Uh, maybe you can't figure out how to uh, cook a meal. Um, the intimacy between a couple changes dramatically. And so all of these are little bits of grief that just seem to 
thread through the person's life as they go on the, the journey of memory loss. And, you know, something I was thinking of as I, as I was reading um, is how uh, cognitively focused our culture is to the yeah. point where sometimes when someone does not have uh, a pretty, um, I guess, strong cognition, we almost uh, st- stop seeing them as human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, as and, if- and we don't ask. We don't ask their advice. So many times at the very beginning, uh, the caregivers, care partners, are so well intended that they do everything for the person who's experiencing some memory loss. So you can imagine. Can you imagine, Cheryl, going through a day when no one says thank you yes, because no one's yes. asked you to do anything. And so we do an awful lot of education with families and care partners, whether they are family members or whether they work in a care facility, that they need to do as much as possible to keep the person involved with their own life, whether it's as simple as giving them the brush and say, oh, you just make your hair look so much better than I do. Now, perhaps mm-hmm. they don't. And afterwards, <laughs> you'll say, well, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just freshen it up a little bit. But giving them something to do, um, setting the table. Now, sometimes it gets set very creative ways, but that's okay. We, we can fix it or we can eat with our silverware fixed very creative ways. But it gives me a chance to say, Mom, thanks so much for your help. You know, that brings up an interesting point because while my wife did not die of a dementia-related disease, she died of cancer, there were times, uh, certainly at the end of her life, she had um, calcification and mm-hmm. she and she lost memory at the very end, but there were also times where she'd be on a particular drug, uh, you know, that would really impair her cognition. And one of the issues I think that people are avoiding by doing everything and going fast, 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 is uh, feeling the pain of the other person not quite tracking you anymore. Exactly, um, exactly. And you know, actually, it's, really, it's really a difficult feeling to feel you won't, you're having an interaction, but it won't be remembered. That's right. That's right. You have to let that go. You have to realize that what you're doing may, may just be a memory for that moment. But what a beautiful moment that is. And Absolutely. Then, and then you just go on and recreate and, it. <laughs> well, and also I, I felt for myself I had to define what the moment was about for me. I had to pay more attention uh, to what I was trying to cultivate with her, which was an atmosphere of love. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's very true. Um, it's particularly difficult Right now in our, especially our skilled nursing facilities, there's probably not one state that will tell you that what it costs to take care of somebody with dementia is reimbursed by Medicaid. Um, that's not Medicare. Medicare, of course, is um, Bill Gates can get Medicare. Um, Medicaid is when you're um, income eligible, when you don't have enough money to pay for a nursing facility. And right now, most of 
uh, most people who have any money prefer to go to assisted living, which is basically private pay for the most part. And then they go into a nursing facility where you may have one nursing assistant assigned to sometimes 10 to 12 residents to take care of. And they have to go so fast. They want to be well-intentioned. They are well-intentioned, but they go so fast. It adds more confusion for the person with dementia. And, and so what I've been trying to do is develop programs that slow everything down and are done in small groups so that people in all stages of dementia, but especially with advanced dementia, feel the love. Slowing everything down, I really I really liked that in the book. And yet also that does mean, um, I find in healthcare circumstances, I train a lot of people that work in the healthcare industry and um, there's a there's a real temptation to kind of shut down uh, because the attachments are are also griefs, um, but of course and, that makes you in the end hate your work. Well, so it's a big and, price, and, right? Right, and and what ends up happening far too many times in the um, assisted living and especially in skilled is that you can just, you know, obviously you love residents, um, you love some more than others, just, you know, they just click with you just as in your normal life. There are people who are friends with you that you like more than other people who you've met and and you come in to work. And, and John was your favorite guy, you know, you just really love taking care of him. And the charge nurse says, oh, um, John died last night, um, so today you get Sam. And, yeah. and there's not an opportunity for that person to cry, to, um, to really express their grief. And I think that's why we have such a tremendous turnover in staff in skilled nursing facilities. You don't have that with hospice. Um, I've been absolutely delighted for the last 10 years. I've been working with a nationwide hospice called Seasons Hospice, and they really take care of their staff. When someone needs to cry, they get to cry. When someone needs to go home, someone will fill in for them. And, um, and, and so this turnover, I'm actually surprised and absolutely delighted when I'll meet a nursing assistant who's been doing hospice. The other day I met someone in California who's been doing it for 20 years. Wow. Can you even imagine the lives that person has touched? So you, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm pondering I'm blessed what you're. Work. Yeah, I, I'm pondering what you're saying because, um, from my view, um, when my mom was uh, put into hospice, and and when my my wife was as well, um, the people that cared for them were a lot more personal with us. For instance, the nurse we had with my mom had just lost his dad. And he shared that, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of um, leading each other home, as it were. You know, mm-hmm. we were in it together in some way that uh, when I would visit her, she lived in independent living. When I would visit her previous to that, uh, to, to the time in hospice, it was much less, the people that cared for her there were much less personal about themselves. 
And I wonder, mm-hmm. I wonder if that doesn't maybe help a little bit if you get to be a person in it. I wonder if that helps to not burn out. I, I don't I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that uh, oftentimes people don't want um, to even think about hospice because they believe that as soon as you go into hospice, you're going to die. And as a matter of fact, uh, I'm glad you brought this up because I don't think many people know this, that there are studies that show for the same disease with and without hospice, guess what? You live longer. You live longer. I, I, you live longer with hospice. Yeah, and and, I and they are personal. They provide social service care. Who a person who really gets to know you. They provide pastoral care, and um, and and that can be whatever religion you practice, or if you're just a spiritual person. But you get all of these services um, in the six months preceding the transition. And, and it's, they're just amazing people, and they are on call 24-7. So if you Absolutely. happen to be at home and you are expressing some feelings or you're having some physical changes, um, your caregiver just needs to make the phone call and somebody is there, either on the other end of the phone or at your door as soon as possible. That does bring up something that I find people are quite confused about, though, which is that the personal care is usually offered by uh, someone, a family or friend, family or friends, that that is something hospice doesn't do. That's Um, not true. That's not true. Um, Hospice um, provides nursing assistance as well as nurses. And and one of the wonderful things that that I see the um, hospice aides doing that the nursing home aides tell me they don't have time to do, and that's a bed bath. Right. So not taking yeah, I, m- I misspoke in. a little. I don't mean that there isn't any assistance available. I mean, once someone needs someone with them 24 hours a day. Oh, right. Um, that that doesn't happen. That's what I that that's what I was trying to say. Absolutely, okay. and so there, many there great is, services, and not yeah, that. But there is part. There is a, a special um, segment of uh, hospice that does provide twenty four seven care when a person, usually when a person is actively dying and their pain is not um, able to be managed easily. So um, they'll provide that service until the person makes the transition. So before we, uh, we just have a few minutes before a break, and I'd like to move towards talking about your particular program called Namaste Care, which I associated that word, even though I knew what it meant, I very much (laughs) associated it with meditation and yoga, but I would... I would love for you to, um, because maybe that's where I heard it most or something, uh, if you could tell people a little bit about what that, why that word fits what you do. Fine. Um, can I just back up a little bit? My sure. commitment in, in my life, um, professional and personal, is to help people live, not just exist, with a dementing illness. And I... I so I've spent most of my career, I'm a social worker, and most of my career because in a nursing home and assisted living, by far the majority of residents have some type of memory loss. And so I develop programs for them to be volunteers and to sing and to dance and to exercise and do brain 
exercises and just have a good time. But then I discovered that there were a segment of of the population in a nursing facility who had advanced dementia, who no matter how wonderful the activity program was, they couldn't participate anymore. So I knew I needed to develop a program, and it needed a name. And I had not taken a yoga class. <laughs> and I, read, <laughs> I read somewhere the word namaste, and it said, to honor the spirit within. And so that's how it got its name, to honor the spirit within. And every single aspect of the namaste care program honors the particular person in every way. Um, do you have time for me to go into it, or should we? Is it no? I think break? I think uh, we should take our break and then come back to it. Um, but I, but that does touch me very much. And the other, the other way I've heard that word used is the light in me honors the light in you, which I think yes. is beautiful. Um, so we're in it together in a way. And I really heard that in reading about your program, the sense in which the care carers and the the residents are in it together so let's come back and talk talk more about that after the break and listeners you can find links to my website and social media at the good grief page at voice america and you can find joyce smart and her work at namastecare.com and namaste is spelled m-n-a-m-a-s-t-e be back soon Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Joyce Samard her program, about her program for working with advanced dementia patients called Namaste Care. And the, before the break, Joyce, we were um, just beginning to talk about what Namaste Care really is. Um, and, and also in my mind is how people do it. And there was a, a quote in the preface of your book that I, I feel would be great to start with in terms of talking about the program because I I think people could be imagining, oh my gosh, so overwhelming once we get into what it actually means you do. But mm-hmm. this quote is a nice and it is a nice way to um, uh, feel the balance of it. Can you share and, that? And it's um, it's particularly important for me um, if I. If I, if you don't mind, I'm going to back up a little bit and and sure. let you know, let your listeners know how I got, I think, um, so committed uh, for this in my life. Um, I am 76 years old, and most of my friends have retired, and the ones who haven't retired have no clue why I still work the way I do, and <laughs> um, and I, I'm not sure why, but um, I was 20 years old and having my first baby in Concord, New Hampshire, at the local community hospital. And at the moment of birth, I had no clotting agent in my blood. It's nothing that they could have anticipated. It happens very rarely. And the woman who had this condition before I did died before the serum came from another hospital to be able to save her. Mm. They kept it in the hospital. And the only reason I'm alive today is because... She died. Oh, and that's so amazing. That's, that's such an incredible thing to happen so young, you know, to, to feel that intersection of um, I'm here because someone else died, basically. Exactly. And, and I think that maybe that's still the driving force in my life. Why did I live? You know, what can I do? How can I make a difference? And as I mentioned, I'm 76 young years old. And, and I'm still going strong um, with, with this passion. And, and I do get exhausted. And I certainly know that the people I work with in any of the situations, uh, whether it's nursing homes, whether it's uh, assisted living communities, whether it's hospice. And when I was in Scotland, um, I was giving a talk, and a lovely hospice nurse named Lorna Reed ended our session together by using a quote from Andy Stanley. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I can't change the world on my own, but I can do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. In fact, that's the story of the hospice movement, which started with one nurse turned social worker, turned physician, who encountered one patient. As a result of that encounter, Dame Cicely Sanders set out on a journey to create a place where she could give to one group of people what she wished she could do for every group. One led to two, which led to hundreds, which led to thousands. 
And now hospice influences the care of people all over the world. So I'm not going to let myself get overwhelmed. As long as I'm able, I will keep doing for one group what I wish I could do for every group. Maybe you'll be encouraged to do the same. You know, that really, really touched me in the context of what you try to do in your program because there's such a sense of being present with whatever person you're relating to right in that moment right now, which if you're distracted by how you're not doing a million other things, you can't actually accomplish. Very. It, it being, I call it being a healing presence. And, and I say to the staff, before you even start the program, and I say to the hospice aides who have to go in and bring namaste to the bedside, before you go into the room, stop. Just take a deep breath and just intend to give the most you can do at that moment. And never leave by saying, oh, my goodness, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Do Give what you can and feel good about it. Well, let me, let me um, talk a little bit about what namaste is. What we discovered with working with people who have dementia, especially with advanced dementia, is that what's going on around them is, is very frightening. They don't understand a television. They don't understand words coming from this box. They certainly don't understand over, you know, the paging, overhead paging. Mm. Um, I had yeah. one resident think that was God speaking. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that. Call online, too. And so what we do is we create a space as free of distractions as possible. And this is whether you're in a person's home and you're providing namaste care in the home, you want to ask them to turn off the television set. You want to lower the lights. You want to have some way of playing some beautiful, calming music. We also use the scent of lavender. There's been some studies that show that lavender has a very calming influence on on most people. However, namaste is also very personal. And for instance, I believe it's in Miami, there's a group, an ethnic group, where violet, the smell of violet water is something that's really important to them. And Mm -hmm. and so um, they want to make sure that you know, that that works for them. Sometimes in New England, when it gets really cold and snowy, we'll use the scent of cinnamon. But whatever it is, it's a very pleasing scent to um, to the residents. And then we use it as a group. Unfortunately, we don't have staff to, to you know, to do one-to-one for hours and hours and hours every day. And I also think, in spite of the fact that they have advanced dementia, they have this sense of belonging to a group, even though they may not talk to each other. And so the first thing we do is is make this space, and it doesn't have to be a private room. I mean, sometimes we'll put um, room dividers around, you know, to make our own own little space, sort of like a cocoon. Mm. And then when each resident comes into the room, everyone is greeted in a very personal way. So Dr. Volitzer gets a handshake, you know, you get a hug. Someone else is told that every time she comes in the room, she has such a beautiful smile. She lights up everything. 
So we make it personal from the very moment they come into the room. The second thing we do is we want to assess them for pain. People with advanced dementia are usually nonverbal. And and if they are, just a few words, and they may not be able to tell you where it hurts. So um, we use something called a pain ad scale, and that is looking at gestures, listening to the sounds, really taking a good look at the residents and making sure that they're comfortable. And then we also make sure that they're comfortable in the right kind of chair. Somebody with advanced dementia should not be in a wheelchair that doesn't recline. They just slump over, and that's not mm. comfortable. So they get put in a lounge chair or their wheelchair is, is um, reclined, and then everyone has a blanket. And we, I love those blankets. You know the blankets that feel like whipped cream? Yes. They're, they're so soft. Yes. And again, very individualized. You know, perhaps I know that you always love to garden, and so your blanket is full of gardening flowers. And and there's a man who really liked the Pittsburgh Steelers, and so his blanket is has all the Pittsburgh Steelers signs on it. So we make it very personal. We snuggle everyone in, very much like you snuggle your children. I was thinking them... about that a lot while I was reading the book, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> you snuggle them. And then, um, I'm not a nurse, and I had no idea how important it was to provide hydration. What ends up happening when you have advanced dementia is that even the most well-intended care partner has a very difficult time getting you to drink enough. And so, you know, you get a little bit at breakfast and then usually at 10 o'clock they pass some type of of, uh, beverages and then at noon and then sometime in the afternoon and then before you go to bed dinner and go to bed, but you really don't have an opportunity to have what we call continuous hydration. So when you come into the namaste room and I've assessed you for pain, I've snuggled you in, I'm going to give you as much to drink as you'll drink, your name is on the cup, it's put right down beside you. And throughout the morning session and throughout the afternoon session, we're constantly offering beverages. We've been able to double, if not triple, the amount of beverages that our residents are taking while they're in Namaste. And by the way, Namaste is a a seven-day-a-week program because Alzheimer's disease is a a seven-day-a-week disease. And we shouldn't say to someone... And I can imagine that that, um, people with advanced dementia would really get disrupted by uh, change in pattern. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so many times especially in in nursing facilities, you'll have a program that's five days a week. Well, I don't think you should say, (laughs) nothing going on this weekend, let's wait till Monday until you have quality of life, and now we'll just put you in front of the TV set. And it's two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. And, And so we've developed this, you know, this beautiful setting. And then the second part, the second principle of namaste is the power of loving touch. And everything we do is slowed down. And we don't use gloves unless there's an infection control issue. So many times we are now into wearing gloves for everything. As soon as they walk in the room, they put gloves on. And Mm. they miss that skin-to-skin contact. 
So yes. I might do something as simple as wash your face and say, oh, Ellen, your skin is so soft and so beautiful. I'm so happy you're here with me today. And, and I'm not washing your face because it's soiled and it's dirty. I'm washing it as a meaningful activity for you at this point in your life. And then we do some fun things. It's amazing. They will remember Pond's cold cream. And the jar hasn't changed probably for 100 years. And you can't imagine people who are nonverbal. And I'll show them the bottle, and I'll, or the jar, rather, and I'll take the top off, and I'll put it under their nose, and they'll smell it, and they'll have a big smile. And many who are nonverbal will say, oh, Pons, I've used it all my life. <laughs> so we really I can imagine that with my wife. I don't use it, but she does. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually, <laughs> um, we actually uh, have, it's so amazing how many times people start talking in the Namaste program, people who are not verbal. And I think it's that whole environment. Everything feels so peaceful, and you feel like you're being loved, and it just frees them up. And they, and they oh, sometimes they say the funniest things. Um, actually, one resident, again, nonverbal, and she said, I've used ponds all my life, or I'd look like a prune now. <laughs> So, you know, there's this a good bit of giggling. Um, and then, um, although it's interesting, I, I also, as you've mentioned, have started Namaste in the UK, in the Netherlands, and Iceland, and they use Nivea. And ah. so we use Nivea there. But the, everyone uses Old Spice for the men. That seems that's, to be quite international. And I might just fuss with your hair. Um, just, you know... Sometimes not even combing it, or if your hair challenged, otherwise bald, um, just rubbing their scalp, again, is just so, um, so meaningful. And the fun thing that we do after making sure with nursing, and by the way, we always checking with nursing to make sure that they're not at risk of choking, mm. and, and with the okay from the nurses, I give them a lollipop. And it brings a smile. They remember lollipops, and it's sweet. So, and, you know, it, it keeps their mouths hydrated with something that's delightful to suck on. And so basically in the morning, we're just going around. You know, we only have one person in the room with usually 10 to 12 residents. So we do a little bit with this one, a little bit with that one, a little bit with this one. And mostly in the morning, we wash their face, we moisturize their faces, uh, wash hands, moisturize hands and arms, fuss with their hair, and continually give them something to drink. And that, that really takes up most of the morning. And then right before lunch, I want to wake people up and get them ready for lunch. And so I'll change the music. And maybe I'll put big band music on. Maybe I'll put um, um, from a musical that they might remember. Mm-hmm. And it's so important for us to remember that the giggle is still there. We'll do bubbles, blow bubbles, and they'll just laugh, and sometimes they'll blow the bubbles. Um, I say bring the outside in because a lot of times people with advanced dementia don't get outside or rarely get outside. And so, you know, you've got wonderful flowers that are in bloom here. Um, I would bring in maybe some beach sand, 
um, in New England, <laughs> one of the aides went out and got a basin full of snow. And you can't imagine how much fun some of the residents had making snowballs and just giggling. You know, the thing that comes to my mind so distinctly is the, that feeling when you have a very young child. And let's say you have a day where uh, you don't have anything else you have to do. And you're just holding them and running with them and playing with them. There's nothing more delightful. And there's a similar sense of they're not, uh, they're, they're in a cognitively different place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could imagine that that mu- must be a little bit what it feels like to, and, and to just I actually to hang out with people instead of driving them through the paces in a way. I quote Bill Thomas, who developed the Eden Alternative, and he said, being present is enough of a present. Yes. And that's, you know, and, and being mindful. I love the whole mindful movement now of just, you know, just being there and being mindful of what you're doing and the reactions for that. And so basically that's what we do in the morning and we do that, obviously, in a care setting. But when we do it at home, um, and we're also helping to teach the family members what to do. And it's amazing. In every study that we've done, the feedback from families are that they visit more often. And the, the visits, of course, are more enjoyable, which is why they visit more often. Because <laughs> so many times, you know, the, the spouse comes in and says, hi, honey, how are you? And she looks at him, no recognition. Did you have a nice lunch? She's not able to understand. And he just kind of sits there. But when you say, your wife really loved getting her hand massage this morning. I wonder if you'd like to do it. And then he does. And she looks at him. And, all, and, and, the, and the namaste care giver, the staff person is saying, oh, John, Look at her. She's loving what you're doing. Well, you can imagine it just makes that visit so much more important. So much better. Let's yep. continue with that when we get back from the break. And and also just, I, I have questions about um, how expensive this is, um, you know, in case people are listening who might want to try to put it into their program, okay. uh, you know, because I can imagine it going both ways. I can imagine it sort of saving some money in certain areas and maybe also being an expense in others. So let's talk about that. And let's talk about what it's like for carers um, because you're talking about a population that that leaves a lot, dies a lot, and uh, what that whole process is like. Um, listeners, go to my website, weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief host page to find Joyce Smart and her work. Go to namastecare.com back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, 
Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Joyce Smart to talk about her innovative program, Namaste Stay Care, for late-stage um, dementia patients, although I could very much imagine that it would be uh, quite a wonderful thing for people who are ill. I know... Um, my wife, when she would have periods of being bedridden, we had friends who were masseuses and beauticians. And, you know, they would just come and, and of course, me too, um, just touch her uh, lovingly. And it just, oh, it was so calming. So I can imagine this could work in lots of areas, but we're talking about the one you work in most particularly. I also was imagining, you know, I've been in care facilities and there are always people moaning, there are always people miserable, you know, uh, who um, kind of wear out the staff. The staff sort of tends to shut down uh, towards people who are miserable, I guess. <laughs> but I, I could imagine that there's less of that in a facility that has namaste care. Yes, Would that be definitely. a fair assumption? Yes, and as a matter of fact, I have, um, there was a chain of nursing facilities in Massachusetts, and I'm not going to say that they had a lower staff turnover just because of my programs, but they had a very low turnover, and we they felt that it was because there was something special going on for almost every one of their residents, that after they the staff person finished getting you up, getting you ready, and, and getting you breakfast, there was some place to take you. And you weren't crying out, and I didn't feel terrible about having you just sit there. So it does, it does make a difference. And you can do well, it also, with very also, little money. So I think okay. we're going to talk about the practical yes, aspects. Definitely. Okay, so because I, it would because the the intuitive thing would be oh my gosh you need a room you need a staff person you know, you know um, and you've obviously gotten um, care facilities on board with doing this you know uh, and and it seems as if in general people end up pleased with the result and not breaking their budget so can you talk about that absolutely. 
Um, and if you don't mind, uh, again, um, my book is The End of Life Namaste Care Program for People with Dementia, and it's published by Health Professions Press, and it's, of course, also on Amazon.com. And it's a how-to. So, you know, you should be able to read it. And it's it very and clear. To... Yeah, it's very and, yeah. clear. You could read and, the um, book I... and begin it, I think. Thank you. Don't you and think? also, I am available um, by email. I oftentimes do free uh, phone conferences with facilities that want to set up the program. I don't charge for any of that. Um, occasionally, people want me to come and actually start one for them, and we work out a budget that um, I can live with and they can live with. So the biggest concern is staffing. How do I do this? There are some who decide that the program is so important um, in many practical ways that we are able to decrease or eliminate the use of antipsychotics, and that's a real hot button when they're being surveyed by CMS. Um, we also have a, a lower uh, rate of people being hospitalized, and having someone hospitalized with advanced dementia is expensive, and the burden of that medical intervention far outweighs any benefit. So there are definite uh, ways that you can save money by offering Namaste to your residents with advanced dementia. Um, So some will go ahead and hire a a Namaste person uh, for seven days a week. But most, what we say is, take as many residents in that are in one nursing assistance assignment. So if, if your assignment is 8 to 10 residents, then you have 8 to 10 in the room. Now, it only works if you work as a team because perhaps mm-hmm. I have three of yours, I have three of mine, I have three of Jane's, and two of Sam's. So you need to kind of keep an eye on the residents, my residents that I'm assigned to that are not in the room, and I'm keeping an eye on your residents. So that's how we justify not having to hire any additional staff. The supplies we have are mostly what they, you know, what they have. Um, we use face cloths. We use small towels. Um, we use a regular moisturizer. Um, we buy Pond's cold cream. We buy Old Spice. Um, if we have money, then we get, um, a, you know, aroma atomizer, um, electrical one approved by the maintenance people. But if not, then you can make lavender linen spray very easily with essential oil and, um, and water, and you can make your own, uh, own scents. So there really isn't, really isn't a, a big outlay of money. In the afternoon, we might give them ice cream or puddings, but again, the facilities would, would have that, and they would be giving them to the residents um, who wanted something to eat in the afternoon anyway. So it really is a very inexpensive program to implement. You just need the heart. The heart is is the ticket. Now, I can imagine morale for the workers improves. When you get helped by somebody as, as a, uh, an employee, when someone generously helps, doesn't it make you mm-hmm. feel better? Oh, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of built into, into the system, right? That that people are kind of supporting each other. I was fascinated by, um, 
you know, there there is death involved here. Obviously, we're talking about some losses of of uh, abilities and that sort of thing that that leads here. But also, people do die, and I was fascinated by the program where. Um, no one dies alone program that you initiated where people actually volunteered to do it who were who were working in the place they volunteered to come when they weren't working right. to um to be with people in the dying process that was a very unusual thing to um it was, it, it was started um as a program in portland maine in a hospital and um, I adapted it for nursing facilities. And it's interesting you should mention that because I did this years ago and I haven't really had anyone interested. And then in the last two weeks, I've had inquiries from Massachusetts and then one from um, Maryland that somehow heard about No One Dies Alone. And so if anyone is interested, again, my email is on the website, so please feel free to, uh, to talk to me about it. Can we also talk about what happens when someone dies? In, yes, in I'd, love, care- I'd, love to, I'd love to have you share those parts of your book because uh, it was quite beautiful to me the way that death is handled in this program. Mm-hmm. And I'd love well, to have you sh- share that. I, um, and, and we call it uh, after-death after care because... We say that whenever a person dies, they don't actually leave the facility or the community until they actually physical, physically leave. And, um, and I, this isn't part of the quote, but I will do the quote. If they come in the front door, they go out the front door. So there's no uh, risking the body out of the back. And this is for yes. all residents. When the body is ready to leave the room, team members place a quilt or a flag, if they'd been a veteran, over it. The gurney is wheeled out, accompanied by family, friends, and staff. Sometimes a prayer is read or a song is offered as the gurney is being placed in the hearse. Most of the time, the team members walking beside the gurney place his or her hand on the body, reassuring the resident that even in death, he or she is not alone. You know, it. Th- this harkened back to uh, an experience I had when my wife died, but actually it was led up to before she died because numerous people, she was sick for 10 years. Oh. I heard a lot of death stories <laughs> in that 10 years because she was never well, you know, it was never over. And people would say the worst moment was when they took her body. Mm-hmm. When they, you know, when the, when her body left, they, they took her away. And I decided at some point, it was probably about eight years in, that's not happening to me. I'm not going to have that moment. I didn't know exactly how I was going to pull that off, but I did pull it off. And what I did was I, we were lucky. We got people that let us prepare her body with them. Mm-hmm. And then we followed them. We put her in the hearse. We followed them to the crematorium, and we uh-huh. came back. We came back when she was um, burned, when she uh-huh. was cremated. Uh-huh. And I, I never had that moment. And I'm telling you, it was really nice not to have it. And so I'm imagining this, you know, person after person 
then is is leaving that you've become attached to. This is an attachment program as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And, and you don't have that moment where the person's just kind of pulled away. You you accompany them. So exactly. I, exactly. I hear what and you're saying about the person, but I also think that must serve the staff. Uh, the last one I saw, as the hearse was pulling away on the driveway, one of the nursing assistants ran up to the hearse and just tapped it. And I thought, what a beautiful, it was her final goodbye. Goodbye, you know. And, and, and what we also do after the death, um, within a week or so, is that we gather the team, usually around the nurse's station or a, a place that's close to the nurse's station because we can't take people off the floor. But we just talk about the death and we say, you know, is there anything we could have done better? Was it pain-free? Was she alone? Um, all of those questions. But then we always end it with a positive. What do you remember about Mary? What mm-hmm. do we do well? What worked really well? You know, and, and so it always ends up on a high note. We also try to have team members then um, uh, make comments, positive comments to each other about, you know, Mary, I know when you were taking care of Sam, he just loved it. He would just grin every time you walked in the room. And, um, or, you know, I, I know that you, you snuck some coffee ice cream up to uh, Susan. You know that that was her favorite. And so even though she'd already had dinner, you'd sneak it up and she'd love it. So recognizing that the very special things, little things that are so very special, especially for people with advanced dementia. Well, because in the end, uh, I certainly have a deep calling to help death and decline be more positive in this culture. We don't have a ton of time to talk about it, but I'm, for instance, thinking, huh, I I might even, you know, tell my kids who do not want to talk about me getting sick and dying, even though that's what I do for a living. (laughs) I can't always get them to talk about it. You know, just say, hey, if I should ever lack cognition please read namaste care i want that kind of program you know (laughs) if we had another hour we could talk about how to initiate those conversations but i find that um referencing a book or referencing uh um you know something else you've been exposed to is is a good door opener so even though we don't have we don't really have time to talk talk about it but uh you know i I, hope i would love i would love to be invited back Absolutely. If you you ever have some time, I would love to talk to you about that, making advanced care um, plans. And and in some respects, that is also grief, isn't it? Because we're saying, oh my goodness, I'm going to die sometime. And and the practical kinds of things. Joyce, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to cut you off because we're Oh. Pretty much out of time, but yes, oh my I will goodness. have you Thank back. Thank you so really very much. Like this is about. lovely. Thank you too. Um, and listeners, of course, go to namastecare.com and and check out the book, especially if you have a program that might be able to to use this method. It's great. Next week, I'll have Joshua Black to talk about his research into the dreams we have after a loved one dies. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.